Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative, and it's my absolute joy today to be talking with uh, the Reverend Amy Miracle. Amy and I uh, worked together in Denver, wow, 25 years ago or something, and have been close colleagues and friends ever since. Uh, Hey, Amy, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Amy, before we get into all the pressing themes of the day, uh, just say a little bit about your ministry setting. I am a pastor at Broad Street Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. It's a church I have been connected to now for about 11 years. Just an incredibly vital congregation. Um, We're located almost downtown, which means we have a parking lot. So we're not quite downtown. Have a lot of ministry uh, to our immediate neighbors. Uh, Food pantry, a homelessness prevention program, which right now is an eviction prevention program. Mm. We are reaching out to some of the kids in the neighborhood who are trying to navigate online learning. And in the midst of all that, we have an, a congregation of incredibly committed lay people who bring a lot of energy and vision to their life with God and their life in the church. That's great. Amy, to say that a congregation these days is vital and engaged and filled with committed people, that doesn't happen by accident. I'm wondering, what have been some of the building blocks that you've seen in your time there to lead to that? When I first arrived at the church, so many of those building blocks were already in place, but I'm not sure that it had come together in a way that really mobilized the gifts of the church. And we certainly spent a fair amount of time in those early years uh, building trust among the congregation, among the lay leadership, and among the staff. And we had to do some housekeeping, governance, cleaning up uh, issues um, that enabled us to spend less and less time on administration and finance and more and more time on mission and service and vision. But at the end of the day, uh, it's a community that continues to attract people who are excited about putting their faith into action and committed to doing that through the life of the church. And I do not ever, not for a single day, take them and that for granted. What's been the hardest thing in ministry right now for you? That's actually a challenging question for me because much of ministry for me personally in the pandemic has been life-giving and energizing. There are many colleagues for whom that has not been the case. I'm someone who so enjoys figuring out new things, um, enjoys challenges, and have um, been particularly engaged in the challenges of this moment that I haven't had a lot of time and energy to spend on what's hard in it. But it's probably just comes down to the simplest of things which is that I simply miss what we all miss, which is face-to-face contact with those inside the church and outside the church. Mm -hmm. And I I noticed that particularly when I have those opportunities, I ran into a church member who um, wandered into the church building on Monday, simply wanting to be in the sanctuary. Mm. 
I happened to be at the building at the same time and little tears started coming down both of our cheeks yeah. at simply the gift of being in each other's actual embodied presence. Yeah. And I won't make you recite all the good adaptations and changes that you've made at Broad Street. I know they've been significant, as with all our colleagues, to get through this time with, with some uh, vitality. But did you, and I also know that you don't have any crystal ball, but do you have any sense of what changes you've had to make may stick post-pandemic and what things you think may be more transitory? Sure. And that's a conversation we're having on a regular basis at Broad Street, both among staff and among lay leadership, is what are we learning and what are our best guesses at this point as to what post-pandemic church looks like? One of the things that's been in, in the back of my head, and I know in the back of many others for years, has been how do we get more faith formation back into the home, into the home setting? And that has been something that we've had to do during this time. And it is exciting and feels like a game changer for the families of our congregation, uh, many of whom in regular times have struggled to figure out how to fit church and home together. We're now figuring out ways to deliver faith formation right into the center of their life as a family. Uh, last night, we did a 25-minute Zoom call with families lighting the second Advent candle. And we played a game together, we sang together, uh, we laughed together, and then we lit our Advent candles together. And it was delightful to see these kids in their pajamas, in their home setting, Sundays with their parents off camera, sometimes hovering around the edges, but engaged with their faith and engaged with their church family, but all from within their home. And you can we can start seeing that some of these faith formation patterns are starting to develop and take hold in households, which is powerful. And our hope and prayer is that that will continue. That's great. You're helpful in kind of time stamping this conversation, which is happening in mid-December in the midst of Advent. But I would like to ask you about Christmas Eve, only because every pastor I've talked to and every congregation member I've talked to in the last three weeks is trying to figure out Christmas Eve, particularly with the multitude of losses of not having Easter, not having everything, fill in the blank. I guess I'd be interested in how you're doing Christmas Eve, but more than that, what went into the decision on how to do that? Because it seems to me one thing that is both energizing but also exhausting congregational leaders right now is the decision matrix that is having to be put on everything. Absolutely. And that decision matrix everyone is experiencing in their workplace and in their home life. Right. So it's so cumulative. Um, we're a congregation that made the decision months ago not to return to inside, in-person worship until there was a significant change in the public health situation. So we never had it on the table that we would be doing anything inside for Christmas Eve. So that took all that part of the decision off the table, which has enabled us to focus on other things. And then we started thinking about Christmas Eve the way we've thought about virtually every other worship experience since March, uh, which is not focusing on what we're going to be missing and what will be lost. But what can we see and experience and feel in the story in this different way of experiencing worship that we couldn't do a year ago? Mm. So we're not trying to 
kind of slavishly recreate the Christmas Eve service that, you know, we've had for, I don't know, 2000 years. Um, it feels that way. On the other hand, um, I did a lot of asking and listening to folks to say, what are those pieces that need to be there for it to be Christmas Eve? One of the universal answers was um, people just simply want to see our kids, which is usually not a part of our late Christmas Eve service. But this year, our one Christmas Eve service will include a pageant like experience that will include virtually every child vaguely affiliated with the church. They've all participated and sent in all these videos that we have someone who's putting them together um, into what I think is going to feel like just this, this 10 minutes of love mm. and hope and joy that's going to be inserted in the middle of our service. Um, for me, the highlight every year, every Christmas Eve service I've ever been to is the reading from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, when the sanctuary is completely dark, except for the light of the Christ candle. And this year in particular, this idea that the room, our space, our lives, our world is filled with darkness and the light is dim, but there feels so important on all sorts of levels. I mean, I think about um, how many families and friends will be gathering all through the winter in their backyards, gathered around a source of light and heat. Um, and that is the only way in which they can be together. To me, just so, feel so connected mm. to that moment in the Christmas Eve service when we are huddled around the light uh, that is the light of the world in this way that we've never been before. I think we have this deeper understanding of the darkness that surrounds that light. And we also have a deeper understanding of that light as a source of illumination, as a source of warmth, as a source of community. I'm trying to imagine both that Christmas Eve moment with that image, but also hoping it's something we can carry with us into January, February, into March. Mm. I've been asking a lot of people to describe what they think those months are going to be like out there in the world. And people are struggling to come up with any words that are anything other than lonely, dark, cold, isolated, yeah, we spoke poignantly of one of, I think, the prime uh, needs and opportunities of faith communities right now is to address it just in the way you're saying. What are uh, other themes that you found helpful maybe this fall as you've gone about ministry at Broad Street? A theme that we focused on in the fall leading into the election, but maybe even more so heading out of the election and into 2021, uh, is a focus on curiosity I've always found that if I can stay curious about something, it's difficult to be curious and afraid at the same time. Curiosity opens us up and invites us to ask questions of situations that at first glance can seem challenging and hard and filled with trepidation. Curiosity is also uh, such an incredible tool in interacting with people who think differently than we do, vote differently than we do, interact with the world in different ways than we do. Curiosity has been something that we keep coming back to 
And one of the ways in which I've talked about it is that curiosity is a spiritual practice, as important in our lives right now as prayer, as reading scripture, and how important it is for us to develop a discipline of curiosity as we interact with a world that we do not understand. Mm-hmm. What was maybe a, an unintended or surprising consequence is that theme got traction in your congregation. Were you surprised by some of the reactions from folks? It was particularly helpful the Sunday after the election as a way of talking about our own feelings and our own experience in a way that moved us beyond the ways in which the larger culture was talking about it and gave us some language to imagine a world where we genuinely listen to those voices that the rest of the culture is telling us to ignore. Uh, Amy, you have a significant network of colleagues and and people in ministry with whom you regularly relate, and, and particularly some people that are younger to ministry than you are, including being one of the facilitators for one of our cohorts in the Ministry Collaborative. What would you or what do you use as building blocks of just some essential things that pastors should know from your experience about ministry? I think that perhaps the most essential tools in a toolbox of a minister uh, is the capacity to ask for help, to acknowledge that it's such a broad, generalist job. Nobody is good at all the parts of it and how important it is to own up and acknowledge the parts of the job that are challenging for us and really seek out help and guidance in that area. And then, you know, what I think is the essential tool for living is to be a lifelong learner. And I don't think we can be a lifelong learner unless we have a certain um, humility, uh, that there is so much that we do not know. And there is so much that other people know within the church, but particularly outside the church. I think uh, so much of the most important insights that I have gained in my life as a pastor have come from outside the church, from people who operate in different spheres, whether those are authors, poets, podcasters, or just friends and neighbors who are experiencing God's world and doing God's work in these profound ways. Hmm. What's a scripture that you've been holding on to personally that's helped you in the recent months? Right now, the scripture that I I seem to be returning to on an hourly basis is that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amy, thank you. It was a absolute joy for eight and a half years to be your colleague side by side. And it's been an absolute joy since then to watch your ministry and all the ways you are impacting people. So thanks for this time together. You're welcome. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.